Our passage today comes from Matthew 19. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Welcome to church. I met a couple of people who uh, have been coming here, and they thought it was Christian fellowship for like three weeks. So it's welcome to Trinity Community Church. You might have to start our sermons by saying that. Uh, so glad you're with us. Um, I'm going to start this morning with a little confession. Is that okay? Can we start and be honest in church? Uh, I got hustled this week, like really bad, okay? And rarely does life give you like perfect sermon illustrations, like in real time. And if it does, most of the time, I'm like lying a little bit, okay, to, to be honest. But this one was like dead on. I, I, got, I got like really hustled this week, okay? I was outside in my front yard. It's kind of like minding my own business. I don't even know what I was doing. But some guy walked down the road, and he just looked like he'd been grinding like all day, just like kind of sweaty. I honestly thought he was like a missionary. I thought he was going to try to share the gospel. Are we, are we good? Is that some real, it's the presence of the Lord in the house. Um, I, uh, I, I thought this dude was going to like lead me to the Lord. Like I thought he was going to like share the gospel with me. And to be honest, I was just ready to do it. I was just like, I'm ready to pray the prayer, whatever this guy's going to do. I'm here for it, bro. Like I'm I love your boldness. So he walks up to me and starts engaging conversation with me, and we're chopping it up. And I'm kind of like starting to like, there's some kind of motivation that he has that I can't quite pick up on yet, but I kind of like him, and we're vibing, we're going back and forth. And then all of a sudden, he like looks at my shoe, and he's like, man, your shoe's a little dirty. 
He's like, I got this thing. It's called Miracle Cleaner. And I'm like, oh, here it is, you know, the Miracle Cleaner. And he pulls it out. He sprays my shoe. He wipes it off. He's like, look at that. I'm like, that's not bad, bro. That's actually pretty good, you know, pretty clean. And he's cleaning my shoe, and then he's just going in on this Miracle Cleaner. Like, it, uh, it's not tested on animals. Uh, it can clean anything and everything. And it's in, like, a former Dr. Pepper bottle, okay? It's, like, real sketch. And, and then I kind of like slowly, like I'm starting to pick up what's happening in the convo, and I'm like, all right, man, like I don't want to buy your miracle cleaner. I thought we were friends. And he kind of bait and switched me. And then he kind of gets, he's kind of feeling that I'm, I'm like, ah, thanks, man. I think we're good. Like we just kind of use Clorox wipes around here for the most part, and I think they're doing fine. And then he just kind of, he, then he asked me what I do for a living. And I'm like, oh, it's like, well, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, man, to be honest, I'd probably be selling drugs right now if I wasn't selling this miracle cleaner. And I'm like, all right, dude, how much, you know, <laughs> what, what's the cost? Like, how, what, do, what do I need to pay for this Miracle Cleaner? And then we go on back and forth, and it was bad. So I just got, I got hustled. So we've got some Miracle Cleaner at our house. <laughs> if anybody needs something that hasn't been tested on animals, that's all I know about it, is it hasn't been tested on animals, and it cleaned a small spot on my shoe. <laughs> but, but you, you know, it's, it's funny, like, I, I joke around with that, but but some of us, like, we really relate to Jesus and money that way. Like, like we kind of feel the little, like, he guilted me into it, you know? Like, I got home, and I told, I'm like, Kayla, I bought some cleaner today. She's like, how much? And I'm like, don't ask, you know? <laughs> it's bad. But we feel that, like, little guilt. Like, I, like, I was good saying no until he's like, but you're a pastor, bro. I'd be doing that. And I was like, all right, here you go. And some of us, that's how we relate to Jesus and money. That he's, that he's got some kind of bait and switch thing with us, that he comes and he meets us and it's like so good and he's like on the side, like, well, bro, you know, but now we got to give your money away and we, we, we hold close to these things and maybe especially even with this story, some of us, we skip over this story, we don't like it, but, but, what, we, but what I want to draw our attention to is, and especially in this story is to see the loving invitation that Jesus has for us. Right? We see a young man who has an encounter with the real Jesus. Okay? Not the rumor of Jesus or these teachings about him or, or something, but he meets him face to face. We see a man who, who the scriptures have called the rich, young ruler. And we get that title from a collection of three different gospel stories. It's in three of the four accounts of the gospels of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Right? Luke, he tells us that he's, that he's rich, that he has money, that he's affluent. The Gospel of Mark tells us that he's a, he's a ruler, that he has social status, that he has clout and power. And then Matthew, he tells us that he's young. His joints are fresh, no wrinkles, all the hair up on his head, feeling great. The best days are ahead of him, right? He's the rich, young ruler. And all these things in our current culture and context should make us sit up a little bit. They should make us lean in and pay attention Right? I might say that this, this young guy, he's got the holy trinity of Western desire, doesn't he? To be rich, to be affluent, to have some cloud and some status and some reputation to your name, and to be young. Right? Don't get me started on all the anti-aging creams that we have right now, right? We got so much trying to keep us young. To be affluent, to be wealthy, to have status, and to be young. And so many of these things, they've infiltrated our cultures and so many other cultures and this guy, he's got it. Three for three. And so as we lean in, we want to see the encounter that he has with Jesus and see what Jesus has to say to this young man this morning. So let's pray, and we'll get into it. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your 
incredible invitation to us. Holy Spirit, we have so many barriers in the way of us experiencing your grace this morning. So many things that we carry into this place, so many things that we don't even know have a hold on our hearts, and, and, and we can't talk our way out of them. But Spirit, we need your power and your presence to come, so we just invite you. I got nothing new to say this morning that hasn't been said, but Spirit, would you, would you breathe on these moments? Would you come? Would you open our hearts, open our ears to hear what you have to say to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to see that Jesus is more compelling than we can imagine, and yet his invitation costs us more than we realize. He's more compelling than we can imagine, and yet his invitation costs us more than we realize. And Allison just read a second ago, the, actually the context of this story, right? Matthew, he, he starts, and where he starts this story is a little bit off. He starts with Jesus around with some kids. He's with children. Who, 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 if children were a low social class in, in, in our day, it's like 10 times as much then. So children had no value to them in this culture. And Jesus is around with these kids and, and his disciples, you know, they're like, what is going on? He's trying, trying to tell them, like, get these kids out of here. And Jesus, he responds and says, no, 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 no. Let these children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. He prays for them, he blesses them, and then he rebukes his disciples along the way. And then it says that this man, in that moment, approaches Jesus. This man, who has everything put together, something has piqued his curiosity. Something maybe he's heard about this new rabbi, about this new teacher that's getting, starting to gain some traction. And not only that, he sees this, this, this rabbi on his knees, bent over with some children, experiencing joy that he does not know. And he leans in and he comes up to this rabbi. And Mark tells us that he throws himself at the feet of Jesus, that he comes in on his knees with a question. And I mean, think about that, though. Think about all that would take for someone to have it all together to come and be on their knees before another man, <laughs> right? That's kind of crazy. Like, this guy has everything we could ever want. He has all the money he needs. His house is paid off, no debt. He whips around in a Tesla, okay? He's, he is financial, Peace University graduated, Dave Ramsey, he did it, okay? Check the box, he's got it all. He's killing it. Not only that, he's got, he's got a great job that he's earned. Like, he worked for it. Daddy didn't just give this to him. He knows he earned it. He did it. He's got a title. He walks around. His LinkedIn profile is popping. People know this guy is a big deal. He walks around with some status and some strut and some swag in his step. I mean, the kids literally want to be rich, young ruler when they grow up. Okay? They look at this guy. They know this guy. And not only that, he's a good guy. Okay? He's not some, like, he hasn't been canceled on Twitter. He's, like, he's got a good reputation. Okay? We even see that he's religious. He knows about the commandments and the Torah, and he's followed them for the most part. And not only that, he has even some humility, right? Or at least like the perception of humility, like he's at least pretending to be humble. And with all of that, with all the things that, the, that, that our culture would say, that, that, the guy, that guy's got it going on. He has it together. He knows that there's something inside of him that he's lacking. There's an ache in his soul that he can't get rid of. Right? Despite all that he's achieved, all that he's earned, the performative life that he's lived, it's still not enough. And we all know that ache. That inner chaos, that inner emptiness, that pain in your gut, that weight on your chest, that no drink can alleviate, that no accomplishment can drown out. You 
You know, when you look around and everything on the outside just feels like it's going well, but on the inside you just still feel off and you don't know what it is. That's what he's feeling in this moment. That dull ache where life has lost its color, we all know that feeling. And he comes to Jesus with that. And it's funny because a lot of times actually Jesus leads us to those moments. So, many, so much of the time when we feel things like that, we think like something's off or something's wrong or something's broken in me and I've got to fix it or figure it out. But it's, it's a lot of the time actually how our spiritual formation grows. And those moments are actually to be welcomed and received. They're often God inside of us. Like, too often we, we still think of our Christian life like it's everything else and it's just up and to the right and I'm just slowly supposed to grow over time. I'm supposed to sin less. I'm supposed to, whatever, read and pray more. I started with five minutes 15 years ago and now I do 60 minutes and it's just this like slow. Maybe I have some little dips along the way, but generally speaking, I'm getting better, which is kind of true. But it's not at the heart of what Jesus is after. Right? You know, where my Shrek people at? Any, any Shrek fans in the house? Hello? Says, uh, ogres are like onions, right? <laughs> We're like onions. We're far more like onions than we are some like line graph up and to the right. That God oftentimes is not just trying to get us to like, that's what we struggle with so much is we're just thinking we have some better improved version of ourselves that we think God has in mind and we can't get there and we can't measure up. And the reality is that God is digging deeper and deeper. He's peeling away at us layer by layer like an onion getting into the depths of our heart. And it's what we see him doing even in this passage. That's what he's doing. The young man, he approaches Jesus with his performative nature and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, you can feel it. You can listen. You can hear his posture. It's how he's always been, right? All I've ever done my whole life is perform and achieve, and I still feel off, and I think this guy might have an answer for me, and he keeps that going. What must I do now? What's the next thing for me to do? And Jesus' response is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> first, he starts with kind of going off, off to the side. He's like, well, first, why do you call me good? And you know only God is good, Right? Which is, which is really interesting that he's emphasizing. He's changing the emphasis of the question onto what his actions are to do to who God actually is. Right? He's changing the emphasis to, to his lordship and his goodness. That Jesus, before even he's a good teacher, we have to understand that he's, he's lord, that he's God, that he's king, and that he's good. That he's worthy just out of his lordship and he's worthy because he's good. We'll never listen to a thing he has to say unless we trust those two things. And that's where he starts. And then he just kind of, it's just like, I love how Jesus does. He just kind of drops in like the mega truth. And then he's like, but I'll answer your question, bro. You know, I know that's not what you're here for. Because then he says, if you want to enter life, man, just keep the commandments. And I can see, you know, he, the, 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 this guy, he pulls out his notebook, you know, he's got his journal, he's looking at him. He totally skips the first part, Jesus says. And then he's like, which, which ones, you know, which, which commands? And Jesus continues, he says, you, you shouldn't murder you shouldn't commit adultery. You shall not steal. Don't give false testimony. Make sure you honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty simple. And sometimes we just write off the guy's response like we're like, he doesn't get it. But I think he kind of does. He's like, I'm doing those things. I think we should take him at his word. I think he's, do he's probably doing these things. At least what he thinks to be doing these things. That's what he says to Jesus. I mean, I, I have. These I've kept since my youth. My parents raised me the right way. I've been doing the right things. And yet he still says, he asks that question. 
that rings in our own hearts and minds. What do I still lack? Why am I not whole? Why don't I feel the way that I feel like I should feel, you know? And this is where we encounter the true Jesus. This is where we see the heart of Jesus. Right? This dude is compelled enough by Jesus that he brings his lack before him. And Mark reveals Jesus' motivation even before the response. He says that he looked at him and he loved him. And it's as if in that moment Jesus could see right through this rich young ruler. And he looks at him and he says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect, which perfect isn't just this moral purity that we might have in mind. While it is some, some of that, it, it, it's, it's a deeper meaning in this wholeness or completion. If you want to be complete, if you want to be whole, if you want a life that doesn't have any lack in it, he says, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And you can feel the silence in the in the outdoor room, I don't know where they were at, probably not inside, but they're outside, and you can just feel that, you can feel the heavy silence in this young guy. That was not what he was expecting. <laughs> you want me to do what? And it makes us ask the question, right? Like, why would Jesus ask this kid to give everything? I mean, it's a little dramatic, right? Let's be honest. That's a little bit, I mean, we're like, come on. That's not normally how Jesus goes about things, at least when I read most of the time. It's one of the most demanding invitations of Jesus. And so why would he say that? Well, one we see is motivation. It's only out of love. Right? Like, it's not some, like, support-raising meeting where he's like, hey, man, listen, here's my mission. Here's my ministry. Here's where we're going. Uh, you've got money. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Hello? We could, we could really do something here, you know? He doesn't even say that. It's only out of love for this young man. It's not self-seeking at all. He doesn't say, give it to our ministry, or, hey, why don't you slide that over to Judas? He seems to be doing well with the money. Bible jokes, hello. My Christians in the house are laughing so hard. Oh, um, that one just came to me, sorry. But it's not that. He just says, get, you, you got to give it to the poor. It's not self-seeking at all for Jesus. It, we, have to, we have to find the heart of God here. He, he's only for this guy's good and his freedom from the jump. If you want to live whole, you've got to give it all away. Right? Another thing that we see is Jesus as a good physician. I don't know much about medicine or being a doctor. I'm a PE major. But here's what I know. Anytime I go to the doctor, they don't give me a one prescription for every single thing I ever have. Right? Like They're not like, what's your problem? Tylenol, you know? What, what about you? Tylenol, you know? Like, it's not, it's not how Jesus works either. He's a good physician. He sees the deep needs of the human heart. It's why his invitation to everybody is almost always different, right? And it's a little confusing. It's why when we try to put Jesus in a box, it's, like, really hard for us. Because his, his words are so different to each and every person, right? Like to Nicodemus, the religious ruler of the day, he says, you're going to need to be born again. He's like, all right, I don't know what that means, Right? To Peter, all he has to say to Peter is like, just throw your net on the other side. He's like, oh, all the fish, I'm in, you know? Like, it's simple with Peter. To Martha, all he says is, hey, you just got to sit down, relax. Just sit at my feet and be with me. His invitation to each person feels so different. He's a good physician who can see the things that enslave us, that have a grip on our hearts. And so when he looks at this young man, he says, for you to find wholeness, 
for you to find true freedom, you're going to have to give it all away. He looks right into his eyes. He says, look, you might have money and possessions, but deeper than that, these money and these possessions, they have you. They have you. You don't just have affluence. You don't just have financial freedom and status. What you have, they have you. Your status has you. You don't just have a nice job title, bro. Your job title, it has you. You are enslaved to it. And he says, for you to be free, to be really free, to be whole, to be complete, you're going to have to give all of it away. And we have to know, even when we read this, that Jesus is not like anti-wealth here. Okay? I mean, we have to even think most of his ministry, most of what Jesus was doing was being funded by wealthy, affluent women. Like, that is how he was moving from thing to thing, was these wealthy women who were giving him the funds to keep doing what he was doing. That's so, so he's definitely not anti-wealth. But he's pro-freedom. All right, that's why he says you should give it to the poor. <laughs> money's not necessarily the problem here. And Jeremy's going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But money's not the problem. Money's neutral. Money's just a thing, Right? It's not, it's not good or bad, but it's how we relate to money. It's how we relate to our possessions. It's how we relate to our title. They're not necessarily bad things. Even Mark last week said a job title is, well, that's, from the, that's from the jump. People have been identified by their work. That's a good thing. It just is a thing. But when those things start to grip hold of our hearts, that's when they gain a power on us. And we no longer have those things. They have us. And they control us. It's like music. You know, music is just neutral. Music just is. Right? We were just singing worship and praise to Jesus through the means of music. And yet, I know some of you, you don't want your kids listening to some songs because they're unwholesome and stuff, you know? Because music can be bad, too. Music is just a thing. Music just is. It can be used for worship and praise, and it can be used for bad. It just is a thing. So Jesus is not saying money is the problem here, but he's saying the grip that money and possessions can have on you is. And some of us, this is just the reality of our lives. We don't have just job titles, but they have us. You know what I mean when I say that? We're enslaved to them. We don't just have a good social status, but it has us. And if that thing were to be ripped from us, we would crush and crumble under the weight of it. And that's why we have an ache. And Jesus wants to heal the ache in us. But it often comes through a means that we don't often know. These things can have us. And so Jesus, he gives this invitation to this kid. He says, for you to be free, for you to be perfect, for you to be complete, you're going to have to give everything away. And then you'll find treasure in heaven. And then you can come follow me. And maybe one of the saddest little snippets in all the scripture, it says that this young man, he goes away sad. <laughs> it's what it is to deny the invitations of Jesus. It's to go away sad. It's to go away still imperfect. It's to go away still with brokenness in your heart. It says, for he had great possessions. And so why is it so hard for us? In so many ways, it's because we can't trust that this is the heart of Jesus, that he's loving us, inviting us into it. And so we see this in the story. We see the young man walk away. And then we see what seems to be a, a kind of a scene change. And the, and the camera flips back onto the disciples who are just utterly confused, right? They're like, what is going on, bro? We were just trying to get rid of these kids a second ago. You were like, no, the kids are good. And then we've got some dude walking up to us. So I'm like, this guy, 
could really add something to us. He's got money. I, I heard he's got like a bunch of Twitter followers. Bro, if he just tweeted out about our ministry, bro, we're, we're good. We're going to get rolling, you know? They're confu- they are like so confused right now, which is what Jesus is like always doing. Just follow the journey of the disciples. Like he, they're, they're, their paradigm for who God is is just getting blown up like all the time. They're like, dude, I have no idea what's happening right now, which is like a really good place to be, by the way. The second you think you have Jesus figured out, I'm like, you're probably really off, bro, because we are all... He's, he's constantly blowing up our paradigms. He's constantly transforming the way that we see him and the way that we relate to him. That's what he's doing to the disciples here. And he senses their confusion. And then he says this, right? He says, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That was like a super popular phrase at the time, too. Like, we've never really talked about that. But that was like a real pop. They'd be like, oh, dang. You know, that's a, that's, a, that's a real quote. You know, that's a real thing. I said that a lot. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying the kingdom of God is not at all what you think it is. How you see the world and how you relate to yourself in the world is almost completely different than how the kingdom works. I mean, let me contrast it to Peter one more time. Like Peter. Peter is a fisherman throwing stuff in the water, just failing, can't find any fish. Who knows? His financial situation is a mess. He doesn't know what's going on. And then there's this guy that just kind of pops up on his boat and is like, hey, dude, try the other side. Throws his net onto the other side and has like so much fish that he has nothing to do, you know? And see how easy he followed Jesus. It was just easy for him because Peter is desperate. (laughs) He is broken. He needs something. The way into the kingdom is always through our need. It's always through our brokenness. It's always through our desperation. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, when you've got everything, when you've built a life where you have no need, it is really hard to experience the kingdom of God. Because you're not in touch with your neediness. You're not in touch with that inner desperation that you have. It's why we see the contrast in how Jesus speaks to the Pharisees or the rich of the day and how he speaks to the social outcasts, how easy they come to Jesus. Because they're so aware. They're aware of their brokenness. They're aware of their need. And so he's reminding us again and again, even in contrast to the children, that unless we become like needy kids, we will never experience the kingdom of God. We'll never experience the rule and the reign of Jesus in our lives. And so there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost. But it's always to get us in touch with our inner neediness. But there is a cost. <laughs> but oftentimes all we hear is the cost, you know, like, better count the cost before you follow Jesus. But we have to hear the greater invitation. I mean, I'm trying to imagine this kid, you know, he's probably hearing that, saying, you got to sell everything, give it to the poor, and it probably just like, you've seen the movie, just like the, the sound like drowns out, and he just like kind of float, floats, and he doesn't even hear the rest of what Jesus has to say. In my, in my, when I was in my PE major, let me get back to what I do know, not medicine, but PE. They tell you to give, uh, like, when you give criticism, you got to do it in a sandwich form. You know, everybody kind of knows this. You know, you kind of, you, you butter them up at first. You say, you're doing so great. You kick the ball terribly, but your effort's there. You know, like, it's like, that way they can hear the sandwich, right? You, you, you just put some nice bread with some compliments on the outside, okay? Because we know, if you, if, if you just start with the hard thing, it's hard to hear the next part. That's the thing what's happening with this kid. I'm going to call him a kid. I'm 30, so I'm just going to say he's this kid, you know. But, but he, hears this, he hears, give it all away. 
And he almost misses the greater invitation. And you will receive treasure in heaven. And even the greatest invitation to come follow me. I mean, think about what Jesus says in other places. If you, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life, you will find it. I mean, how often does the attention just go to, like, we've got to be willing to lose our life for the sake of Jesus? And we miss, he's, he's actually saying, lose your life so that you might find real life. That's the invitation. Every sacrifice, everything that we do to say, I'm going I'm I'm to give up a little bit here so I can follow Jesus. He says, I'm going to repay that so much more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. You might actually find what real life is. I mean, isn't that so much better? I mean, if we want to count the cost, let's count the cost of trying to build a life on our own. What's the cost of trying to, like, provide for ourselves and protect ourselves and be safe enough and secure enough in and about ourselves? That has a far greater cost. Thomas Merton, he says this way, he says, the power to have everything we want, to enjoy everything we desire, to demand that all our wishes be satisfied and that our will should never be frustrated or opposed. This claim for omnipotence, our deepest secret and our inmost shame, is in the fact, is in fact that the source of all our sorrows, all of our unhappiness, all of our dissatisfactions, our mistakes, and our deceptions is a radical falsity. He's saying everything we've built our life on is fake, right? <laughs> it's not even real. It's what Jesus said earlier. He said, don't, 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 don't seek things that, that, that rust, things that go away, but seek things that are eternal, things that will always be there. Don't put your safety and your security in these things. Count that cost. <laughs> Because the invitation to follow Jesus with the Psalms shout continually that God is safe. That he's safe. That he has us. Psalm 46, that God is our refuge and our strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, we will not have fear. Can you imagine a life without fear? That's what he's inviting you to. He's saying, don't, don't build your life on this. It's so shaky. It can't hold you. Come follow me. Come follow me. I'm a refuge. I'm safe. He has an invitation to an unshakable kingdom. The book of Hebrews says that this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed. All of creation, it's, it's going to be shaken. Like, let us not forget, like, three years ago, the whole world shut down. Do you remember that whole thing? COVID-19, like, that happened? We're, like, just back to normal. Like, life is good independent. Everything like was done. Like we were freaking out like not that long ago. Let us not forget. The world is shaky. But then he says, so that the only, the unshakable will, will remain. And he says, therefore we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. So we hear give it all away, but, but we have to hear the louder invitation. Follow me. We heard the first part, but here's, here's the second part, right? Peter, even in this moment, he's like, dude, I don't understand this. Who can get in? If that guy's not in, who's in? And then he says, what, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter's kind of confused. He's like, Lord, we've given everything. I didn't have much, but I gave it all, you know? And Jesus responds with this, truly I tell you, Peter, 
at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left their houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much, and will, e- will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Maybe that makes us feel a little uncomfortable, you know, that Jesus is kind of using like incentives to motivate us. He's using rewards. <laughs> He's saying, friends, you, you will get so much more. You, you've given a little bit, but, but you will be repaid with more than you can ever imagine. We get a hundred times with Jesus and his kingdom. It's like buying this field for like 10K, burying it, coming back, and it's worth 10 mil, you know? It's like a hundred times as much. Jim Elliott's quote, he says, he, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can't lose. Everything we do in eternity lasts for eternity. It never goes away. We can't lose it. So the invitation is to choose the better reward, to choose the real riches. And so even as I close here, I just want to encourage you to give everything you have to the poor. That's it. Let's pray. Just kidding. You can joke about that, right? That's fine. All right. But to take inventory. For some of us, there are things in our life that we have that, they, that we don't just have them. That they have us. I mean, think about how much we, we contrast this. Like, like some of us are like, man, I love Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus. You know, come to me. I'm tired. All who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest for your soul. Take my yoke on you. My yoke is easy and my burden. Like, we love that. And then we read that this is the same Matthew, same gospel, by the way. It's like eight chapters later, same guy, same Jesus, <laughs> saying, yeah, you got to give everything to the poor. And I just want to end here. It's the same invitation. A yoke in that time, a yoke, a yoke is what would, what would yoke two oxen together as they plowed a field. And he's saying, stop trying to do your own life, trying to yoke yourself and, and put my yoke upon you. My yoke, my, my burden is light, Right? And some of us, it's not just I'm trying to do my own, but we're yoked to things. They have us. Like we are enslaved to things. And we're like these oxen who are just like being dragged around to and fro. And Jesus is saying, it's the same invitation. He's saying, take that yoke off. I have a so much better yoke for you. I have freedom. Like I have, a, I have a life that you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to show everyone what you're doing all the time. You can find real safety here. You don't have to build a life that where there's just, maybe there's nothing around here that will ever go wrong, hopefully. But you can just live life without fear following Jesus. It's his invitation to us. And the Spirit of God, in the same way that Jesus puts his finger on each and every individual's core thing in the Gospels, he does it to us. The Spirit speaks to us. And so there's stuff in our own hearts that even as I'm speaking, it, you can just feel it gripping you. You know it has a hold on you. And the invitation is to give it to Jesus to take that yoke off. To even be aware that I'm yoked to something. Something's controlling me. And it's not leading to life. And to see the love in his eyes as he looks at you and he says, I've got better things for you. There's riches in eternity. There's riches in heaven. There's a way of life that can follow me. There's no safer place to be than right behind Jesus. He's our strength and our refuge.
So even this morning, if Jesus were to look at you, or if you were to approach Jesus and say, good teacher, what do, what do I still lack? What would he say to you this morning? Let's consider that as we pray. Spirit of God, we thank you for your presence. Uh, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Even now, this isn't an intellectual exercise, but we need your presence to speak to us. We just ask, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? No one wants our freedom and our healing like you do. So we just invite you to come and speak to us. Give us strength and courage to follow you. To trust that you are, you are the Lord, that you're king, that you reign above it all, and that you're good that you're a trustworthy dad who, who sees us and knows us. Convince us, God. We just pray against any, any things that have, have a stronghold in our life right now. Whether it's just like our appearance or how we appear before other people or whether it's our budget and our finances, even just the stronghold of upward mobility that our culture has, has, has created a lie in us. We ask that you would break that from us right now in Jesus' name. We thank you so much. We just even praise you even in this moment. And I'll walk that way. We praise you that you are, you're good to us and that you invite us into life with you. So we come to you this morning with our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.